Hey, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about why the classifications of indica and sativa marijuana aren't based in science. Then we'll answer a listener question about how clean your washing machine really gets your clothes. You'll also learn about why researchers staged sword fights to learn about the Bronze Age. Let's satisfy some curiosity. As marijuana goes mainstream, more and more people are flocking to dispensaries. Sometimes they'll find a mind-boggling array of strains. With names like Gorilla Glue, Blue Dream, Death Star, Nice Guy, Pineapple Express, Jack Herrer. Wait, wait, Sour... Cody, Cody, it's a 10-minute podcast. Oh. <laughs> we don't have time. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, you go into one of these dispensaries and the strains are labeled with the type of cannabis they contain and a list of their supposed effects. But it turns out that the classification system this relies on is centuries old and it's not holding up under modern scientific techniques. Cannabis growers, sellers, and consumers typically categorize strains as either indica, sativa, or hybrid. They say that indica puts you in the couch. Supposedly, those strains give you a relaxing, quote-unquote, body high. On the other end of the spectrum, sativa strains are said to provide a more energizing head high, They can manifest as creative euphoria or, in some cases, anxiety. Anything labeled as hybrid is supposed to put you somewhere in the middle. Or so we thought. It turns out that this classification is not actually based in science. The false dichotomy goes all the way back to the late 18th century, when French biologist Jean-Baptiste Lamarck identified a new species of cannabis that had been sent to him from India. If that name sounds familiar, it's because he's the guy who had a weird theory of evolution that said that giraffes have long necks because they reach for higher and higher leaves on the trees. He wasn't correct. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here, Lamarck noticed that the wild-grown plant from India was smaller and had firmer stems compared to cultivated European cannabis. The thick stems made the crop unsuitable for producing hemp fiber, but Lamarck did find that consuming it led to, quote, a sort of drunkenness that makes one forget one's sorrow and produces a strong gaiety, end quote. India became Indica, and cultivated hemp's wild sister was born. Today, most scientists recognize just one species of cannabis, Cannabis sativa L. Others might break that down into three subspecies, Cannabis sativa, Indica, and Ruderalis. But when it comes down to it, there's really no difference between indica and sativa plants on a molecular level. The real explanation for cannabis's varied appearance and effects is in its terroir, or where and how it's grown. Everything from soil to sunlight to altitude can affect the final product, so when you plant a seed to grow OG Kush in California, it'll turn out differently from the same strain grown in Colorado. That's similar to what happens to wine grapes. But unlike the wine industry, which is heavily regulated, the cannabis world doesn't have a governing body to standardize how growers name their strains. So for now, the Indica Sativa classification remains as a tool for explaining the varied effects of cannabis to consumers. But when strains don't behave according to this oversimplified system, users may end up a bit more dazed and confused than they bargained for. We got a listener question from Kathleen, who writes, My fiancé and I have an ongoing debate about our machines. How clean does our washing machine really get our cloth items? 
Great question, Kathleen. It all depends on how you're doing your laundry. Let's start with how your washer gets your clothes clean. You put your laundry in the washer with a cup full of detergent, close the lid, and start the wash cycle. The first thing that happens is that the detergent mixes with the water to help it penetrate into stains. Detergent is a surfactant, which means it can help oil and water mix. Super important for getting out day-old pizza grease. The problem is that the detergent can only penetrate so far. Soapy water can get between the threads in a t-shirt, but it's less effective at burrowing between the tiny fibers that make up each thread to remove the super tiny particles trapped within. Luckily, the rinse cycle saves the day. When fresh water replaces the soapy water, the difference in detergent concentration actually creates an electric field that draws those dirt particles out. The charged surfactant molecules that surround each dirt particle carry it away through the electric field like a microscopic maglev train. Cool, right? It looks simple, but your washing machine has some complex physics going on that get your clothes surprisingly clean. But while detergent and water might be enough to get dirt out, it's different for microbes like bacteria and viruses like, yes, COVID-19. You may have to use some extra weapons to rid your clothes of those bugs. One of them is heat. The CDC recommends washing your clothes on the warmest appropriate water setting and drying them completely. A recent study found that viruses similar to COVID-19 thrive in cold, humid environments. So sticking clothes in the dry heat of an electric dryer will be the best protection against infection. Another weapon you can use is bleach, only if it's appropriate for the load. But there's one harbinger of microbes that many of us don't think about. The machine itself, which can carry bacteria that could transfer to future loads. The lesson here? Even your washer needs washing. Experts recommend sanitizing your machine every so often by running an empty load with very hot water and bleach. Afterward, wipe down any rubber seals to remove lingering moisture. But in general, your washer and dryer are perfectly good at cleaning your clothes. The combination of heat, detergent, and agitation is enough to rid garments of pretty much anything you need it to. Thanks for your question, Kathleen. If you have a question, email it to podcast at curiosity.com or leave us a voicemail at 312-596-5208. Here's something fun. Researchers staged real sword fights to learn how Bronze Age fighters used bronze swords. Now, when you think about what makes a good sword, strength is probably high on the list. The Valyrian steel swords from Game of Thrones never went dull. Sokka's sword from Avatar The Last Airbender was forged from a meteorite. The sword of Grayskull from He-Man was indestructible. But weapons from the sword-loving Bronze Age were made of, obviously, bronze. And bronze is pretty soft. It's actually much easier to bend and destroy than iron. How could that be? Is it possible that the thousands of bronze swords archaeologists have found in graves and rivers were just status symbols? Well, to find out, a team of archaeologists had seven bronze swords forged by a traditional bronze smith. Then they recruited specialists in historical European martial arts, or HEMA, to reenact the moves from a real medieval fencing manual. At the conclusion of each fight, the researchers recorded the marks left on the weapons. Their goal was to measure the microscopic dings and dents to figure out if bronze could really be used for sword fighting. And when they were done with their fighting, the archaeologists compared the marks on their replicas with marks on actual Bronze Age swords. And the marks matched up! 
which demonstrated that the real historical weapons weren't just for decoration. Finally, they examined 110 swords from Bronze Age Italy and Great Britain for the same types of marks from specific moves. Certain marks were associated with certain eras and locations, which suggests that specific moves had evolved and spread from region to region over long stretches of time. These fighters weren't fooling around. I mean, after all, if you use a bronze sword in a clumsy way, you'll destroy it, one researcher said. It takes training to make the most of such a soft metal. It's funny to imagine archaeologists reenacting sword fights, but the research is also pretty groundbreaking. It introduces a whole new way to study civilizations and the objects that were central to their culture. And I mean, any scientific research that involves sword fighting? I'm right there. Before we recap what we learned today, here's a sneak peek at what you'll hear next week on Curiosity Daily. Next week, you'll learn an easy trick for telling stars and planets apart when you're looking up at the night sky. Why it's so easy for elephants to get drunk. That time you were able to buy life insurance policies from vending machines. And more. Okay, so now let's recap what we learned today. Well, one thing we learned is that there's really just one species of cannabis. And the differences between them really come down to things like soil and altitude and just kind of the way they're grown, just like wine grapes. So maybe in the future, like your friend is a master of wine, there'll be a master of cannabis. Could be. Stick that in your pipe and smoke it. (laughs) (laughs) And we learned that our washing machines clean our clothes with a small electric charge that pulls the particles out of the clothes, which is pretty intense. It really is. And we learned that researchers staged real sword fights to see if Bronze Age swords were actually used for fighting. And I feel like I know several people who would have jumped at the chance to join in on this research. There are actually there's a club that back when the lakefront was still open every weekend, you would see people LARPing with like swords and shields and stuff out on the grass. It's 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 pretty fun to watch. Foam weapons are really big at the gaming conventions I go to. Yeah, that's what these guys used. I miss Renaissance fairs. Oh, man. They'll come back someday. Yeah, someday they will come back. Put that in your pipe and smoke (laughs) it. (laughs) Today's stories were written by Andrea Michelson, Ashley Hamer, and Kelsey Donk, and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Have a great weekend and join us again Monday. Yes, we'll have a new episode Monday to learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. 